Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Amen. Thank you. Well, we're in the Gospel of Matthew again today. I'm running out of things to say. I'm just kidding. I can say a lot, actually. Um, Somewhere my wife is rolling her eyes right now. So anyway, um, beloved, all of the Gospels have a signature story. Each Gospel takes its interpretive key from that signature scene. For Matthew, the signature is the Sermon on the Mount. Here we see Jesus as a new Moses who interprets Torah, offers wisdom sayings on how to live the way God wants, and provides very practical instructions. All of the teaching of Jesus in Matthew are important. Still, the Sermon on the Mount receives the most attention because it, re- it offers a, a compendium of Jesus' teaching that has been extremely influential throughout history. Some scholars have argued that the Sermon on the Mount placed so early in the New Testament canon should be the template through which we read the rest of the text. For Matthew, the kingdom of heaven occurs when people take the words of Jesus in these chapters to heart and live into them. So let us hear now from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, verse 8, and a supporting verse in chapter 19, verse 14. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them, for it is such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. dropped a substantial amount of money on stuffed animals since having children. (laughs) Well, mostly since my daughter Ruby came along. Sure, I had a few teddy bears as a kid, maybe one or two, but none of them had outfits. (laughs) 
Now, you may have noticed there is quite a market these days out there for stuffed animals or loveys, as we call them in our house, because loveys are marketed now as more than just a product on a shelf. They are branded from the very beginning as part of your family. And these are things now that you commit to, that you dress, that you kind of actually have to go through a background check before you even take them out the door in a tiny little house. And you walk through and and just kind of, they accompany you all throughout the rest of your day. Now, my friends, we have come far beyond Care Bears and Cabbage Patch Kids of my days. This is no longer about going and picking a doll from the shelf for your birthday or an animal. This is a whole curated experience where kids choose an animal and a scent and and tailor it to to kind of just what they want to create and, and choose and what speaks to them. And at one particular store, which I'm not going to name because I don't want you all to have to run out afterwards and take your kids, um, but they get to, kids get to choose a very special heart, which is all red and shiny and puffy and beautiful. And, and kids get to pick one and they get to hold it in their hands and they get to rub it together and they get to blow on it. And they're told to put all the love that they have into this heart, and then they get to put it into their animal. And they get to tuck it inside, and they get to watch it fill with love. And this animal comes alive right before their very eyes. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen this happen, I kind of get a little teary, I have to admit. I mean, I love a good ritual, right? And, and I'm watching this happy and, and, and Ruby's getting all excited and she's looking at me and she's like, can I get another outfit? And I'm like, no, but this is really beautiful. And, and the, you know, the person sewing the, the teddy bear in this case together is like, you know, putting the heart in and, and there's this whole ritual and exchange involved and, and kids are asked to make a commitment to this animal to love this animal or teddy bear or whatever they've created, to love them with their whole heart for the rest of their lives. Now, that's a really big deal for a kid, right? And they do it, they do it. And right then and there, right then and there is the embodiment of the pure in heart. This week in our sermon series, we are on the fourth beatitude. And when I hear, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, I think of kids and pretty much only kids, except for maybe Mr. Rogers and (laughs) Ms. Scott, my childhood Sunday school teachers. Um, And that's not meant to leave any of the rest of us out, but I think it's it's kind of hard sometimes for us adults to, to reach back and, and go to that place where it's just easy to live and love with our, our hearts. And that's not to say that we can't learn or relearn how to be pure in heart. We can. Kids just tend to do it 
to love and feel without pretense or all the other stuff that sometimes holds us adults back. Younger kids, especially those who haven't been exposed to violence or trauma or had a lot of grief or major life disruptions, they tend to kind of walk around with their hearts outside of their bodies. I don't know how it works, but they, they kind of do that till about age eight. And then something inside their mind kind of says, nope, put that back in, unfortunately. But I noticed that not only does their heart kind of walk around outside of their bodies, it, it tends to also kind of come out of their mouth. And you know, it just makes us adults kind of squirm. We get a little uneasy and we don't know what to do. It's, a, it's actually a beautiful thing. And I've watched, and I know Rev Jerry, we've talked about this. I've watched parents endlessly try in church to get their kids to be quiet and sit still. And kids are all squirmy and that's totally okay with me. I love it actually. And every now and then at just the right moment, I'll hear or see a parent just lean over and just be like, shh. And then I'll hear a kid be like, I'm talking to God, you know? And so it just always works out. It always works out. Just that pure heart, it comes out, it just does. And I think one of my favorite times was at a funeral. It was a a graveside service and, you know, they've dug the grave and they lay that weird like grass looking stuff and the caskets on it. And everybody's worried about this little kid. I don't know, she was maybe like four. She was kind of running around and picking dandelions and blowing them. And, you know, they're just afraid she's going to fall in and it's kind of stressful. And I can see her out of the, the corner of my eye and I hear her dad like, you know, come on, like sit over here, pay attention, pay attention. And, and everybody was just trying to hold it together in that moment. I get it. I get it. And then she says the most beautiful, wonderful thing in that moment. She said, I'm just trying to blow him high enough to poppy in heaven so he knows that we're here. Pure in heart. That's what it's all about. Storyteller and musician Curtis Lambkin wrote, believing is all a child does for a living. That's the essence of pure in heart. Believing with our whole hearts. And friends, that's really all that's necessary. Simply being present to the wonder that's around us. Noticing life. Jesus was so clear about this. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them or stand in their way. Children had such a special place in the heart of Jesus. But I don't think, I don't think they often get enough credit. And in fact, I think they teach us the most about him with their hearts. One of Jesus' favorite visual aids was children for this very reason. And every time the disciples kind of got in that mental game of gymnastics and theological debate and discourse and head games, Jesus simply pointed to the children. And basically to the rest of us, Jesus was saying, come, come with the heart and the mind of a child or what the Zen Buddhist would call a beginner's mind. 
empty yourself, you then will know and see and experience the love and grace of God. In one of her sermons, Barbara Brown Taylor tells how when she was little, she liked to stand on her head. And I thought about doing a little sermon illustration for you this morning, but decided against it. I've been practicing that in yoga, but I'm not quite there. So, Um, but I love this image of, of her standing on her head. I don't know if you've ever seen Barbara Brown Taylor, but she was kind of short as a kid and, and everything in the world just kind of seemed boring and dull to her. But she found if, if she stood on her head that things tended to, to liven up. All of a sudden, grass would kind of be in front of her eyes and, and swing back and forth and trees would would grow up, not down, and the sky was a blue lawn that suddenly went on forever. And her swing set was no longer an A, but a V. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) And at any moment, her house seemed like it was in danger because it was gonna fall off the edge of the yard. She liked standing on her head because she could see things in a whole new way. And even more so because in a world where trees grew down and houses might fall up, anything seemed possible. How magical is that? She suggests that that Jesus should have asked his disciples to kind of do the same thing. And maybe he kind of was when he was talking about these Beatitudes. Because in the Beatitudes, he turned the world as they knew it, as we know it, kind of upside down. What was now up was then down, and down was now up, and out was now in, and in was now out, and front was now back, and back was now front. And blessed are the upside down. You see, as followers of Jesus, we see life through two different frames of reference. First, we see life as everybody else sees, the world of human history. We see a world where might makes right, a world that pronounces the benediction over the wealthy and the powerful. We see a world that validates the self-assured and the self-sufficient and the pure and the perfect, and the strong and the assertive. But that's only the first frame of reference. We see what everybody else sees, of course, but as those who follow Jesus, we have a second frame of reference. We have the opportunity as followers of Christ to see what others do not see. We see through this second frame of reference a reversal where blessing and joy are to be found close to the heart of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's actually a beatitude that gets kind of lost in translation, literally. One translation of the Greek reads, blessed are the clean in heart. 
Now, to be fair, there are slight variations in the translations between pure and clean, which are not exactly incorrect of the Greek word katharos, but those are more literal translations, which leave this text kind of flat and prescriptive. The word katharos in Greek also means to be one thing, pure, without having a lot of other stuff mixed in. So here this contemporary translation of the Greek, which reads this way. Blessed are the wholehearted, for they shall see God. Picasso once said, artists are those who long to see with the eyes of children. So my friends, I think it's, it's this. It's this pure in heart that artists try to capture and we adults long for. But something happens along our way in the journey as we go deeper and deeper into the world that causes us to stop living with our whole hearts. We forget, we become distracted, we get overly consumed by schedules and busyness and things to do. We find ourselves looking at our watches to determine if we've met our goals for today rather than listening to ourselves, our bodies, our spirits, our souls, our spouses, our children. Sure, it can be hard to reach back into childhood and maybe for some of you harder than others and that's understandable. But I'm gonna ask you just for one day, one day and you can pick any day to go back And remember to be curious, to try to live with your whole heart, the heart of a child, to just feel that wonder of the world, the wonder of God, to see God, to be open to God in that way. Maybe that feels a little too simplistic, but I'm gonna ask you to try it just for a day and see what emerges for you. I'm gonna ask you to be playful. Maybe even get crazy and do the hokey pokey. Maybe put your whole self in, put your whole heart in. Who knows what might happen and where the divine may break through. Now, as we have discussed in this sermon series up to this point, The Beatitudes are not some straightforward description of cause and effect. If you do X, then Y will follow. These are not techniques telling us how to simply obtain a blessing by applying some transactional formula or the Simon says of Jesus trying to trick us. They are instead meant to hold us up through the experiences of our lives, bringing us closer to the presence of God, to the very heart of God in this very moment. Now I want you to go with me to the context, to this first century in which Jesus was speaking these words. Blessed are the pure in heart. 
Jesus was a Jew, and for his first century Jewish listeners, the words pure would have undoubtedly conjured up a very specific set of images of ceremonial cleanliness, of proper, high, holy observances. In fact, many of those which you wouldn't have even been allowed to attend because it was only reserved for the highest and holiest of people and priests. It's important to note here that Israel saw itself as a set-apart nation and purity was the very essence of what preserved its status. Think about it. Think about how much the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, are dedicated to the very instructions of preserving purity from what to eat, to what to wear, to the very fibers of your clothing, what they should be made of, to how to sacrifice animals, to how to clean the animals. Everything was about preserving purity. Purity was a very big deal in first century Israel. And the Pharisees, the religious authorities of the day, devised purity codes, an entire system to measure how pure people were. Purity and faithfulness were meant to go hand in hand. Now, true confession, that didn't just happen in Israel. That happened in South Carolina, too. I I heard many a times growing up, cleanliness is next to godliness. And actually, that's nowhere in the Bible, but I believed it. (laughs) And I'm thinking now I probably could have saved myself a bath or two and played a lot longer on those summer nights. But, But purity... It cost people a lot back then. Ryan Duck points out that the time in which Jesus was teaching and sharing this lesson of the Beatitudes was a time in history in which the the Jewish people were living under occupation while in exile. And among the Jewish, there were a lot of different ways and responses for, for how to respond to occupation. And what that meant to be faithful to God. The Pharisees thought, well, the way to be most faithful was to preserve this sense of purity. So they kind of ramped up their devotion to the law and to focus on purity. In fact, they got so upset if certain rituals around purity weren't observed and done in such a proper way that they got really angry and started kind of kicking people out. But Jesus said, you know what? That's not what's important here. What's really important here is kind of the essence, the essence of what's close to the heart of God, the matters related to the poor, justice, truth, mercy, all the things we're talking about here in the Beatitudes. In a first century world, the heart, the heart was considered the region of thought, intention, and moral disposition. It was the core of one's very being. Jesus wasn't concerned about the rituals of purity that kept people out. Jesus was concerned with the heart of the matter, people's hearts that invited people in. And of course, that was really maddening to the religious authorities of the day. So it's important to note here that when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, he wasn't asking for perfection 
or purity or some adherence to some external standard or moral purity code. But he was speaking to our hearts and our intentions and asking us to align that with the heart of God. I want to spend just a little bit of time with the concept of a pure heart and purity in general. There's a lot of shame and harm that often gets mixed in and layered on to this concept of purity. That's not accurate, and frankly, I think it's just bad theology. Again, this is where the Greek translation can be especially helpful. Pure in heart is in essence speaking to the whole of the substance. We are whole and complete people, not some whittled down, sanitized version of who God created us to be. There are some preachers that would stand up here and say to you that this passage really comes down to this, the order of things. Purify your heart, and then you'll see God. Simple as that. But that misses the entire context of the Beatitudes, the countercultural very nature of what Jesus is talking about. Seeing God isn't some weird reward for being pure. It's an outcome for simply being present with our hearts being present to the goodness of God that is all around us and in fact, already deep within us and in fact, already in each and every one of us and has been since the beginning. Our kids know this. Our kids know this well because they are living and loving with their whole hearts naturally. They're already there. As you saw from the spotlight, we had vacation Bible camp this week. And for the past three weeks, our youth have traveled to Montana and Belize and Wyoming. I've had the gift and honestly sacred privilege of talking with some of them, spending just a little bit of time with them and hearing from them about their experiences. I reached out to a couple of the kiddos and youth and I asked them, have you seen God lately? I want to share with you what they said. I saw God and my friend who helped me untangle a knot. I saw God in someone who used to be homeless who now helps other youth so they don't become homeless and end up on the street. I saw God in Alex, who's 80 and still digs trenches to care for God's creation. I saw God in apple trees and worms. I saw God at church in the fellowship hall and in my dreams. I see God all the time, Rev Amy, because God is in the air. I mostly see God in light because God looks like light and God looks like me. And these were just a few of the responses I got from a handful of kids and youth that I spoke with. Thinking about how and where they saw God 
wasn't hard for them, wasn't something they had to earn. It just came. It just came. Because they're living with the pure of heart that they have already in them. And we can learn from them. These are powerful words that they offer us. Powerful reminders of how differently we all see God and how present God is to the pure in heart. How present God is to all of us if we just notice. I might add that I saw God in a lot of you this week. Corinne and I were driving on Thursday, bringing our youth back to church when the bad weather and tornadoes hit. I can't tell you how many of you showed up, texted, checked on each other, checked in, showed up to help clean the church and made sure that our vacation Bible camp kids and youth mission trip kids were safe. That's how I see God. Your hearts, our hearts are so big. So it's not about working. It's not about something that we have to do or a a hurdle that we have to cross. It's just about living with our hearts. And we do that well. And let's keep doing it. Now for most of us adults, it's sometimes a long journey from our head to our hearts. But it's one that's possible if we're willing to make it. As Rachel Naomi Ryman wrote, Wholeness is never lost. It's only forgotten. Friends, Jesus invites us again and again to come back, to remember, to take on a beginner's mind, to love God with our whole hearts, our whole being, to see God by simply being present to the wonder of our lives and recover the wholeness that waits in all creation, if we're open to it. Our takeaways for today are simply this. The longest journey is simply from our head to our heart, but we can make it. When we are most playful with ourselves, God can sometimes finally get serious with us. And believing with the beginner's mind and whole heart truly does deepen our faith and opens us to see and experience God in the most amazing and unexpected ways. May it be so. Let us pray. Generous and ever faithful God, you have spoken to us through your inspired word. Open our hearts. Grant us grace to not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Guide us from here by the light of your spirit that we might believe and act on what has been revealed to us today. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.